A wild one in Starkville. The party continues in Starkville. He's a pleasant lad from Starkville. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. Once again, I am joined by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, UConn professor, and distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Glanville. Doug. Yes. Doug. Great to be here in Starkville. Yeah, it's always great <laughs> to have you here, but you know, a lot has changed since the last time we did this podcast. And you know what's great about that, Doug? It's going to give us a chance to have so much fun in this podcast at your expense because let's just say your analysis of where that NL wildcard race was going a week ago is not going to get you a gig at the Psychics Hotline. You know what I mean? No, no, you don't. Yeah, no 1-800. Idea. Yeah, Doug, Doug Cleo is not, is not really in, in fashion here. Yeah. The Swami hat has been buried. Yeah. And retired. Yeah. Bad swami them by you. Uh, I have good excuses, but I'll I'll raise that a little later. <laughs> okay. We're, we're going to get down to really making fun of Doug in a minute here. But before we do that, I want to get a little nostalgic because we're saying farewell to a ballpark this week. That doesn't happen that much. Uh, that ballpark is located in Arlington, Texas. And I don't know about you, Doug, but it feels like there's been almost no outpouring from America over the demise of this ballpark in Arlington at all. And here in Starkville, like we hate it when that happens. So I, I want to talk for a moment about Globe Life Park because, well, that's what they call it this week. <laughs> and yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it inspired millions of Texans to go right out and buy some term life insurance. Darn it. Uh, and you know, Globe Life Park, it's not Wrigley. It's not Fenway. It never really captured the heartstrings of America, but it was a pretty place. Uh, a lot of cool stuff happened there. Kenny Rogers threw a perfect game there. Adrian Beltre got his 3,000th hit. Uh, I was at those 2010 and 2011 World Series, which lifted the cloud that hung over that franchise. Uh, they sang deep in the heart of Texas every night. They clapped along. It was fun to go to a ball yes. game there. <laughs> right? Yeah, Doug, you did more than go to ball games there. You played in ball games there. So this is your chance, man. I would like you to capture the essence of Globe Life Park or whatever it was called when you played there. <laughs> yes, where's my John Vicenda voice here? Go ahead. In the storied halls of Arlington, Texas, in Globe Life Field Ballpark at Arlington, Fort Worth, Dallas, Texas. Um, yeah, I, I remember some great moments, uh, tearing my hamstring going from home to first base. Wow. Uh, wow. And getting carried off the field. That was awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, was a it was a beautiful park. Park. They took great care of it. It, it had like those iconic arches, like, you know, kind of had a, I don't know, Yankee Stadium feel, but it was really, uh, you know, it was just architecturally kind of cool to be in that park. I remember when I first signed over there and got to visit visit the stadium, I was like, oh, this is really nice. The field was super well manicured. Uh, I, I was amazed that every player got two parking spaces, right? What? Now, keep in really? mind, I play. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And well, keep in mind, I came up with in Wrigley Field where each player got like a third of a parking space. I mean, that was like, 
that was like cool that you had a third of a parking space. But you, yeah, you literally drive in and you go down this ramp and kind of like not much fan access. You go deep into this dungeon and there was, you had two parking spaces. And at the time I was just me and single. So I was like, wow, I could park diagonally if I really want to. Here. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, they, they were, it was cool. It was also really hot. I was um, hoping you were going to mention yeah. the heat. You, like you, like, you <laughs> yeah. can't possibly have ever been, ever played baseball under more intense heat than that place. No. Well, this is what they did. First of all, we had no day games uh, like the summer. And whenever we and that was kind of cool. But the problem was on travel days, we would play a day, a night game. And you can imagine I, I it's funny, like I know geography well, but Texas feels like, oh, you're out west, but you're actually not. You're in the middle of the country and the AL West all these teams are pinned up on the coast and that's a four hour flight minimum. So we were going to Seattle and getting in at like five in the morning and our, the airport was like an hour away. Oh, it was just, it was horrible. But, um, you know, I, I enjoyed playing there. The fans were great. They were very hospitable and, um, yeah, they, they were cool. I mean, it was so, yes, this park brings a lot of memories. We didn't win hardly anything, but, uh, we had a lot of fun. We had a we had a really good lineup: A Rod and Carl Everett and Juan Gonzalez, Michael Young, Rafael Palmero. I thought I was going to score two hundred runs, but then I blew out my hamstring, so that was over. Well, that was sentimental. <laughs> yeah, I I did so. take my wife and kids there, and uh, it the temperature never got under a hundred at any point, even at, at night. And they're like, "What is this?" <laughs> so, what what's the hottest you can ever remember being there? Yeah, I mean, well, we had most of our batting practices on the field were canceled. We just hit in the cage. It was it was just that ridiculous. But oh yeah, triple digits was, you know, not unlikely. Now I I left. I got traded July 30th or somewhere there. So I kind of escaped the the August heat. But it, it was smoking. Like it was just distracting <laughs> how hot it was. And, you know, but I played at the vet in the summer in Philly on AstroTurf. True. And I felt like I was a giant cheesecake. So, you know, <laughs> it's all good. I, I remember you saying to me after one game, it was like 117 on the field at, at the vet. Now I know what a slab of bacon feels like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just toasted. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. So and, farewell, Globe Life. Yep, farewell. Yep. Okay. There we go. <laughs> uh, that was beautiful. But now it's time to turn our attention to something not that beautiful, which is Doug Glanville's ability to predict the future. But first, for those of you who are new to Starkville, now that we're available on iTunes and Spotify and everywhere podcasts are sold, here's how this works. We divide the podcast up into innings. We start every inning with a trivia question. And you can find the first four innings pretty much everywhere. As I said, iTunes, Spotify, all your favorite podcast platforms. But then we have bonus innings available on the Athletic app and the Athletic website, uh, including our fabulous, stupid baseball bet, which we keep track of every week. So if you would like to keep listening and get a 40% discount on a subscription to The Athletic, you just have to click on the link where you found us in the first place. Everybody got it? Awesome. Now let's play our game. Doug, here is your first inning question. True All right. or false? You love those true or false questions. The Cubs. Yeah, 50-50. <laughs> 
Is it though? The Cubs have lost the same number of games this September as the Brewers have lost the past two Septembers put together. True or false? I'm going to go with true. It's looking true to me. You know, that's actually false because it's a trick question. <laughs> the Cubs have actually oh, no. lost more games, and 12 more. to 11, oh, right. <laughs> this September than the Brewers have lost in the past two Septembers. And that brings us to last week's episode of America's favorite wildcard game, Countdown to Oblivion. Uh, the way that game was supposed to work was I would tell you how many games the team could afford to lose the rest of the season. Then you would pronounce them dead or alive. The game was going mm -hmm. great. We had three weeks of real fun playing the game. But then, yeah, let's remind everybody how Doug answered last week when I asked about the Brewers. The Milwaukee Brewers. You had them dead at one point. Their number is five, as in eight and five. So the Brewers, Doug, dead or alive? Uh, apparently, I like funerals because I'm just also declaring them dead. What? Uh, I, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm really? gonna, I want to be bold. I, I'm gonna be bold <laughs> no. because I've, you know, I've, it's easy to throw out the Boston Red Sox, but the Milwaukee Brewers are a game behind, right? The, the Cubs. Yes. But I'm gonna call them dead. I'm going to call it David Copperfield syndrome, which is an illusion to think you're in it, but you're, you realize one day you wake up and you say, wait a minute, the, the MVP is out for the year. How are we going to do this? And then it's all going to fall apart. Wow. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. That was a good moment for you. <laughs> Doug, I think you just lost your license to practice medicine in Starkville. What the heck happened? That's all right. Well, I can get my li license on the black market, so I'm good to go. I will find <laughs> you it. You must have gotten it on the black market. <laughs> right. uh, well, a lot happened. Uh, well, who would who would have thought <laughs> that? Oh wait, well, we're, we're, we're going to the we're going to the who would have thought already. Who would have thought? Well, well, I, well, it's not over yet, but I I, I can't declare them <laughs> dead this God. week. Six games remain. No. Uh, well, let's look at the I, Brewers of that September you mentioned. By the way. What, what did they win to close out the 2018 season? Was it eight in a row just to tie the Chicago Cup? It was something crazy like that, right? And uh, there, and there was no right. way. I would have declared the, the Brewers completely dead last year and would have been wrong again just off the way they closed out the season. Now they had Christian Yelich. But the Brewers, here, here was my thinking. The Brewers <laughs> have been outscored this year. Still, they've, I know. they've been outscored. I don't know how many teams in history have made the postseason having a negative win uh, run differential. Not many. That's one. Two, even during this stretch in September, they have not hit anything. They're hitting 229 for the month. Uh, it's been all pitching, which has been miraculous. They have the best ERA in September. Uh, but they, they're, they've been outscored, and their offense has not really shown any life. Lorenzo Cain is limping around. And I, there's no way I would have said the Cubs were going to get swept by all one-run games at home where they were undefeated against the St. Louis Cardinals. But that's exactly what happened. I think the odds of that are actually higher than the Cubs coming back at this point. That's how crazy that was. But this is baseball, so I got to roll it, and I will accept it. But I, because the Brewers were cryogenically in stasis, and I thought they were dead, and I don't have a medical license— I got, I got a little bit of a hall pass here. 
You don't. You, you, you get no hall pass. You need to take your stethoscope into the shop, get, get it repaired. Because well, first off, I want to point out to our audience, you heard a taste of this. I overruled your pronouncement. I would not <laughs> allow the brewers to be pronounced dead on this show. So, Doug, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, second thing. Continues. Let me yeah, it does. And let me explain to you the, the premise here. If the team has a chance, a realistic chance, you're supposed to not declare them dead yet. I admire your courage to do that. But th yeah. they were tied with the Cubs, right? They had the, didn't they the same record as the Cubs when you made that pronouncement. I mean, like, we just can't have that. And so because of that, we are unable to play Dead or Alive on this week's show because your license is under review by the Starkville Medical Association. That, that's fair enough. I, like I said, bold. We have to be bold in Starkville. That's how Starkville came about, boldness. And, uh, you know, it's easy to just take the math and say, oh, they're alive or they're, you know, no, no, no. It can't be math. It's got to be, it's got to be something that brings us into the 22nd right. century here. Okay. There's a fine line between boldness and stupidness, <laughs> which is not a word. I know that, but it, it just fit. All right, so we're not going to cross that line in the future. Got it? Uh, what we're good. going to do instead is we're going to talk about the Brewers. And, like, their September magic is amazing. Uh, last September, 20 and 7. This September, 16 and 4. And so I looked this up. The last team that had back-to-back -back Septembers with this good a winning percentage was the 1942-43 St. Louis Cardinals. And I'm pretty sure those Cardinals didn't lose Stan Musial in the middle of those Septembers. So this is amazing. Like what the Brewers are doing is amazing and also historic. And you've been watching this. And you just kind of explain some of the reasons for it. But beyond that, I mean, beyond the talent, beyond the fact that they have one of the best managers in the sport in Craig Council, uh, they lost the MVP. Since they lost Christian Yelich, they're 10-2. and two. So I feel like a big part of what they're doing is a part of the game we can't measure. And that is belief. Doing what they did last year fueled the belief that they could do it again this year. And Doug, you've played baseball. Have you ever played on a team that got insanely hot and had no business being that hot, but you just had that feeling you were going to win every day no matter what? So then you did that. You ever been on a team like that? Well, I actually have to leave the Major League Baseball realm and go to winter ball in Puerto Rico. And it's relevant because the team we were playing, I was playing for the Mayaguez Indios. And the Indios are known for being the underdog. We, we're a city that's in really the country on the West yeah. Coast. Kind always of like wait. always, you know, get these grinders and these diamonds in the rough to put our team together. Didn't have a whole lot of super, superstar major leaguers. You know, I had a couple of guys, you know, breaking in like myself. And, you know, we had Jose Valentin and Jose Hernandez. Um, but on the other side of it, San Juan, you know, was sort of the New York Yankees of Puerto Rico, had the money, got the talent. So they put together a dream team. And, it, you know, it had, I mean, Roberto Alomar, Edgar Martinez, Bernie Williams, Carlos Baerga, you know, I mean, Delgado played for these guys. I mean, Juan wow, Gonzalez. 
95. Um, okay. So wow. that's you hear that lineup. Uh, and we actually were able to knock them off. We, we beat them. And uh, it was, you know, it, obviously it was epic. So, and there was a moment, you know, our manager was Tom Gamboa. I know, you know, Gamboa is this legendary coach who um, was attacked on the field yeah. by the Royal uh, Royals first base coach and the White Sox fans. That, that's Gamby. And he's one of the most positive people I ever played with and for. He uh, used to say, we didn't lose tonight, fellas. We just ran out of innings. Uh, he was just always that guy. And um, he, and he had this, cancer diagnosis recently that he beat and it's just you know amazing and more to it but nevertheless uh, Gamboa was set that tone that we could beat these guys and that belief was there before we even thought about the series we were just like we, we can win and we did so you know it is a huge thing Craig Council's you know a brilliant mind a great player a guy who's made the most of every bit of talent and been a world champion. And I, you know, it, it does make sense. There's no excuses. If I didn't say anything about the Brewers is they have no excuses. The Cubs could say, look, Javi Baez went down. Bryant's been banged up. Rizzo got hurt. You know, they have, they have their reasons, but every team has those reasons. Uh, Christian Yelich goes down MVP candidate and won it last year. And they just kept rolling and you have to give them credit. They had 18 games in a row. They didn't even have a day off. And they did very well in that stretch. So that seven game, that homestand, they went six and one and, and didn't hit very well, <clears throat> but they had a one ERA. Um, they're executing. So you got to give your credit to the Brewers. And um, there's still a lot of baseball left, but they've brought themselves into a team that I think people are going to be uh, concerned about playing because they just find ways to win. Yeah, well, just to follow up on this, belief. How can that be a real thing? You know what? Like we live in such a scientific, mathematical world. Everything, every decision, every game plan, every in-game move, every personnel move. It's right now. None of that is is coming from the place we're describing. It, you know, there's no hunches being played in modern front offices or in dugouts anymore. Um, it's all fueled by science. So how can belief be such a real thing? Uh, is there a way to quantify it? Well, there isn't, but it's it's at the core of being human. And I don't think any amount of analytics and numbers can ever trump that. You know, you can try to quantify everything and maybe somewhere in the world and in history of the universe in the year 7,200 we'll realize that everything is quantifiable I mean I still doubt it uh, you know and there's so many examples uh, you know think about the Yastrzemski's or all these great stories that you can't explain what it means and that's the soul of the game which is why there's always this debate about are we you know do you lose the soul of the game when you make it such an odds making type of game uh, you know, because you think about what the low percentage play is actually the one that inspires, right? Why did Dave Roberts steal second? Like, in, in you know, why? Th that's what actually inspires. Yeah, you can hit a home run. I can hit a home run off of my three-year-old daughter and the odds are great, right? <laughs> you know, whatever. But but it's what inspires you is the the thing that the guy who goes the nine innings and gets the no-hitter, even though he should have been taken out of the sixth. You know, it's just, it's that. And you know, I love baseball and I love it in all these iterations. 
But that is the concern of getting so granular into the numbers. And we'll talk more about like some of the aspects of baseball that we've lost because we're being so conservative with these numbers that you don't try and you don't take risk. And risk inspires, actually. You know, and I'm, I'm not saying like recklessly, but, uh, you know, tactically risky uh, creates so many things that you can't expect. And look at history of baseball. We talk about this all the time. You don't have these moments, so many of them without something that goes against the grain of what you could put on a calculator. All right, here's your second inning question. Only one team in the wild card era has ever won at least 95 games and not made the postseason. Can you name that team, my friend? Okay. I don't know if I can, but I here's a wild guess. Um, yeah. I remember being on a phone call, uh, union phone call, and it was di- it was a time when the Oakland A's rattled off twenty in a row, uh, something like that. Wasn't it somewhere in there? All right. Yeah. There was a team chasing them, and Tory Hunter was on that phone call. So, and I remember him saying, "Are you guys planning to lose? Because we're playing pretty well." <laughs> so I am going to say the Minnesota Twins. Just throwing it out there. Yeah, that's a good guess, but that is not correct. Ah. The actual answer is the nineteen ninety nine Reds. Remember that team? They won ninety six, and they lost in a one game tiebreaker to the Mets. I remember. Ah. I covered the 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 game in New York that day and the Mets won and the Reds were in like a seven hour rain delay with the Brewers. So for a while, like I was going to wait around and, and see what happened because I didn't like, I knew the Mets had won, but I didn't know if that got them into the playoffs or not. Uh, depending on what the Reds did. So I, I hung around for a while, realized, you know, I better write this thing. So I, I wrote Reds game still hadn't started. Uh, so then I, I finished writing. I sent my story. I'm in New York. I drove all the way home. I walked into my house and they were just starting the Reds <laughs> game and the Mets like didn't know they had to go play the tiebreaker game somewhere they thought, but they didn't know. So I can't remember. Did they like fly? Were they like in the plane when the Reds won? I can't, I can't remember how all this happened. But anyway, the, the Mets made it. The Reds didn't make it. They had the tiebreaker game the next day. If we'd had two wildcard teams back then, the Reds would have made it. And the only reason we bring any of this up is this could happen to the yeah. Indians or the Rays this yeah. week. Um, they both have 92 wins with a week to go as we record this. Uh, th- this is normally where we would play the American League version of Count Down to Oblivion, but it's kind of a sad story. You've lost your license to play that game, or at least it's been suspended. <laughs> so... <laughs> So uh, here's the game we would have played if we were playing it. Uh, Fangrass is projecting uh, 95.4 wins for the Rays and 95.3 for the Indians. And it's unlikely that there will be a tenth of a game played at any point. So to get to 95, um, they both have to go 3-3 three and three in their last six games. Seems pretty realistic to me. So I, if I'm going to ask myself... Are they dead or alive? The answer is they're both alive. Okay, Doug, you don't get to play. Um, I hope as you listen to me play that game all by myself, you realize how irresponsible you've been 
in the way you've played the dead or alive game haven't you you have right? yeah well it's a lot of responsibility to declare dead and alive so um i'm glad yes. that you've taken the torch uh i i, I, I like I'm, I'm just looking at the yes. schedule i'm just looking at the schedule of these teams right cleveland yeah, is at the white Sox and at the nats the rays are home against the yankees and at toronto oakland a's are at the angels and at seattle um yeah. Right, the the A's would only have to win one more game to get. To yeah, they're they're in. That's easy. They're 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 in, right? So let's let's play Nostradamus a little bit. We'll get a guess what's going to happen. Uh, you mentioned the Rays, right? They um, you know, had, had to finish up with the Red Sox on Monday, then two against the Yankees at the Trop, pitching mm-hmm. Brendan McKay and Charlie Morton in those games. Then they finish up with three in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Tyler Glasnow, Ryan Yarbrough, Blake Snell lined up to pitch those games. Uh, what's their record going to be? I'm going to say they finish with 96 wins. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. That's four and two, right? They're t- 92. That would be um, four and two, correct. Yeah, I like it. I mean, yeah, and Snell is a big boost. It's it's a He's a different Glass kind of pitcher. Too. Yeah, well, no, they're good. I mean, but Snell had missed so much time, right? And 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 the lefty Cy Young Award winner, it's it's like it's a it's a monstrous boost. And yeah, you know, as long as he can continue, hey. well, he doesn't have to go deep in the games these days as their bullpen. But uh, they have just great pitching, great pitching, and the Indians have great pitching, really. But um, the Rays just have been steady, and then they get the Cy Young Award winner back. Come on, that's that's a nice that's a nice. Yeah, mix. how about that? Adding the Cy Young Award winner and the the April pitcher of the month. <laughs> right in September, pretty, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Uh, all right, so we we agree they're going to finish with ninety six. Right, the Indians three in Chicago with the White Sox, then mm-hmm. three in DC against the Nationals. Yeah, who are probably going to need to win those games Sunday yep. if it matters. Could be Max Scherzer against Mike Clevenger if both oh. teams need to win. Wow. Yeah. Uh, let's see Saturday, Adam Plutko versus Patrick Corbin's a good one. Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, two young pitchers, Zach Plezak, Austin Voth, who pitched so well on Sunday for the Nationals. How many games do the Indians win? I think they will also finish with 96. Then they will play a tiebreaker game next Monday, and that game would be in Tampa Bay. What do you got, Doug, for the Indians? I got three and three. I, 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 I see them dropping one against the White Sox. And uh, they're on the road the whole time. Yep. And that's going to cost them. So I see the Rays getting in, the A's and the Rays doing normal wild card things. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. I, I would hate to not have a tiebreaker. I, we, I know. We I'm rooting for that, that. I'm rooting for like a five-way tie, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's exciting. <laughs> all right, there will not be a five-way tie. That's all. Like, all oh, that's over. It was a shame. We we had our moment last week. We went through what all some of the stuff that could happen to the Brewers. None of it's happening. But we still could have that AL tiebreaker. I, I, I like it. I, I, I still think it happens that – we're, you're underestimating the Indians, my friend. The Indians in the last four seasons are 73 games over 500 in the second half. Like the specialty of their house is the big finish. They're going to have one again. I'm telling you that now. And uh, I, I know you've played in in the major leagues. What like what's it like to be in a race in the final week? You had that in Chicago in two thousand three, didn't you? 
Yeah, I mean, it was incredible. Incredible. And I only had one postseason, well, at least getting through the finish line, one postseason race where we were able to make the post, as you mentioned, in 2003. And uh, that that year was I was traded from Texas over to Chicago. And we were only 500 when I got there. I think we were like 54 and 54 or something. Not very exciting, but we were in the race and got hot. We had five game series against St. Louis uh, going into September. And that was one of the best series I've ever played in at home, by the way, at at Wrigley. And, you know, I mean, in the end, it was exhausting, actually, (laughs) because you were sitting on every single pitch. Every pitch you're on, you're thinking through scenarios. And I was not playing every day, so I had time to, all right, when am I going to get in here? Uh, I mean, it was absolutely uh, exhausting. And and I remember I was friends with Royce Clayton, and at the time he was with the Milwaukee Brewers. And they were playing, the the Astros and the Cardinals were both, uh, you know, battling us. And the Astros were, you know, neck and neck, and the Brewers beat them in Houston. And I remember leaving this long voicemail like, thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> it's like, you know, it was so excited that they just knocked them off. And and we ended up uh, being the Pirates, I believe, and clinching and just running around the field. So it, it's every pitch, every minute, and your your maximum focus really fueled by adrenaline because it's a long season and you're you're exhausted, but... That was some of the most special times of my career, without a doubt, because just the fans were into it and just the energy that you find, the camaraderie you build. So um, I, w- I remember pouring all that champagne and Eric Carroll saying, yeah, this is fun. It's This is what all these teams have been doing for a long time, uh, just <laughs> celebrating. It's so nice to do that. And it really was like um, just a lot of fun. All right, Doug, here's your third inning question. Carl and Mike Yastrzemski just became the third grandfather-grandson combo to hit 20 homers in a season apiece. So Ooh, I'm not going to ask wow. you to name both of the others. So name one of the other two pairs that have done that. Wow. Do I know this? Uh, grandfather. If you read my column, you'd know it. <laughs> no, well, I, I tried. I looked it up. Well, I love your column. I try to wait until after our podcast. I feel like I'd be oh, cheating. So I it. usually, yeah, that's my strategy to, to challenge myself. So, uh, well, what about like Buddy Bell and the Bell family? Uh, there's yeah, the boot. Well, huh? Well, or, yeah, well, you have to, you have to pick. Oh, the, I yeah. can't name two. I just name one. Okay. Well, no, um, you, you can pick one. Plus, you have to name the grandfather and the grandson if you want. Oh. If you want to get credit, or we're gonna have to suspend your trivia license, also. Yeah, I don't know this one. Then, <laughs> uh, I mean, well, right, Ray just, Boone and uh, Aaron Boone. And... Yeah, there you go. Okay, all right. Ring the bell. Ring the bell. Good. good. Uh, Ray Boone had two grandsons do it. Actually, Brett and Aaron both. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I forgot. About right, it. but the bells were also correct. Uh, Gus Bell and David Bell also all right. did Ooh, it. And, feeling uh, good. This is a this was a question that uh, Mayor Zuri uh, stole from my column. He, I love it when he takes our the stuff we want to talk about and then he turns it into a trivia question. So that'll do it for this segment. Time to move on. All right, just kidding. <laughs> uh, not not this time uh, because Doug, you know, we're both family guys. We have such a soft spot for the touching family moments in baseball and in life. Uh, last week we had some really cool family moments. Um, Kevin Biggio hit for the cycle. 
which meant he and his dad, Craig Biggio, became only the second father-son duo to go cycling. Uh, the Wards, Gary and Daryl, were the other. Um, I spent a lot of time researching the, the feet, the great Nola brothers' feet, <clears throat> Aaron and Austin Nola. Uh, one brother double, had double figure in homers. That's Austin, obviously. The other double figure in wins. Uh, last brothers to do that in the same year, George Brett and his brother Ken. And I know this because I, I'm i insane, so I looked at all 414 brother <laughs> combinations in the history of baseball. <laughs> that was not a good idea. <laughs> I, it, it went up in a great note. <laughs> and But the best note of all was seeing a Yastrzemski go into Fenway Park and hit a home run. I know Yastrzemski had hit a home run in Fenway Park since 1984. Three, that was awesome. But I, I, Doug, I want to reveal my favorite tidbit about that game. Uh, that game was memorable not just for the uh, the Mike Yastrzemski homer, but because it took a mere five hours and fifty four minutes to play. And so I spent some time looking into this. Did you know that Carl Yastrzemski started? 1,631 regular season games for the Red Sox, and not one of them lasted five hours and 54 <laughs> minutes. So that means that the first game that Mike Yastrzemski ever started at Fenway lasted longer than all the games his grandfather started at Fenway. So, Doug, is baseball awesome or what? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, and I mean, this is the modern game, right? All the the September call-ups, the, the 15 pitchers being used, and uh, which is changing next year, as we know. But I mean, I, I that is just like a moment of like speechless, you know, just speechless about how powerful to think about these generational components to baseball. We love the stories and how there's something about the game that ties families together. And when you can imagine being a major leaguer. And by the way, Mike Yastrzemski played, you know, seven years in the minors. I mean, he had to grind it out. He was a 28-year-old rookie, and he's 29 now. And that's that's a long road that becomes bleaker right. and bleaker as you go. And right. he, he was able to reach the pinnacle in the house where his grandfather was a Hall of Famer and to share the moment with him, you know, and God willing, he still he was still alive, you know, not guaranteed, right. obviously, that way. Right. He lost his father. I mean, there, there's so many things that tie together. And I think of my grandfather who used to, you know, from North Carolina and used to say with his accent, y'all still hitting that ball? You're still hitting that ball? <laughs> he would say that to me every time he saw me. And I was like, granddad, I'm still hitting that ball. And when he passed, I could still say uh, at, at the wake that I'm still hitting that ball. And, you know, it tied people together. And, um, you know, my brother was really my inspiration to play baseball. He taught me the game. We walked me through every way to enjoy the game from statistics to stratomatic to, you know, just the strategies playing the game. We tell stories every day about the game after we finished our respective, um, you know, games. And, and he always you know, talked about it as a passion of his life. And, you know, one game he actually came out to Montreal when there was like 600 fans in the stadium and <laughs> and literally sat behind me in center field. It was like a there was seating in kind of left center. And 
it was so much downtime. I we talked like the whole game, and he, and it was fun. Like I'm sure my pitcher would <laughs> Wait, have the, been horrified. While the game but, is being, the, well, but the but, game is know, going on. You know, when I shifted over to left center, you know, it, pitching change, all that. Yeah, I picked my spot. But he'd follow, he he he'd follow you over there. Yeah, he would just sit and you know he just sat there, and I would be in in left center, and and he had the whole section to himself. So so, uh, but yeah, just you know, I, I I've been through so many moments in my life through the game. I think that so looking upon that moment of wow, I wish I could have shared a moment like that with my family, like the Yastrzemskis, and and let alone your grandfather who was so pivotal and so iconic to the game and to Boston, and to do it in a interleague game, by the way. That is like unheard of. Like, why are the Giants playing the Red Sox? How often does that happen? I mean, that that's just amazing. And um, so, yes, it's it embodies everything I loved about baseball and that like moment and in uh, just one swing of the bat and one first pitch thrown out by a, a great legend of the game. I I I completely agree that like that was not a baseball game. That was a movie come to life. Uh, you just hit on one of the great aspects of it. What were the odds that the Giants would play there this year, the year that they acquired Mikey Ostremski? That that game that the Giants won that night was the first game they had won at Fenway Park since 1915. That was 104 years ago. And this was another one of my goofy research projects for the week. There had never been any team that went over 100 years between wins in any big league park until that night. And there was a Yastrzemski in the park in Boston. You just can't make this stuff up. And you and I both love these cinematic moments that just come welling up. out of the strange but true files, that's one of my absolute favorites of the year, of any year. Agreed. All right, Doug, it's time for the fourth inning. This is our social media question. This allows our favorite listeners to be part of the podcast and achieve that long-awaited 15 seconds of fame uh, we'll tell you how to do that in a minute. But the, the idea of the question is, you submit the question, then uh, Zuri, the evil mayor of Starkville, picks the question because he knows it'll stump me and Doug. And Doug, we got a really special question this week. <laughs> it, it, it comes via Twitter from John, the gluten-free bacon lover. <laughs> Uh, and we're going to reflect on the dietary implications of that handle some other time. Uh, but now is not that time because John, whose actual Twitter handle is John71105, he has a question. Yes. And I believe since it's the first trivia question we've had that is actually revolving around you, you will be in charge of answering this question. Lucky All right. Doug. Are you ready? All right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Here we go. Doug Glanville had 15 or more plate appearances against 71 pitchers. So, Doug, this is a three-part question. Against which pitchers did you have, one, the highest batting average, two, the most hits, and three, the most strikeouts? I'm just going to set this one out. We're going to let you answer the question about yourself. 
Uh, this is a game a coming home. This is a game coming home to roost. I used to go around spring training with a, a press guide. And I used to ask players, and my game was called, How Well Do You Know Yourself? And I'd go to like Turner Ward. How many triples did you have in 1992 in A-ball? Like I used to do that all the time. And I'd drive them crazy. And most players got it wrong. So I guess I won't feel bad. Um, yeah. I'm going to make you feel better too. I um, I once, I was once in a, this is a really long time ago, but in the, in the 90s, the uh, there was a, a trivia game played at some bar in Philly. That's so I was on, I was on a panel with uh, three sports writers and we were uh, in a trivia competition with the Phillies broadcast team. And this will make you feel better in advance. Richie Ashburn got a question wrong to which he was the answer. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea what the question was, but that was very amusing. That's, that's so go ahead. Now, don't you feel better? Uh, yeah, who'd you have the highest batting average against? Oh boy. I'm going to get this wrong. All right. So, uh, and is that 15 is the plate appearance is going to get me though. So I know I destroyed Andy Bennis and um, Woody Williams. And so if I'm guessing, uh, I'll go with Andy Bennis, the highest batting average. And that's your final answer. It, it's, it's actually Elmer descends. Oh, good. Let's see here. You I, were, I, I did hit him. Well, eight yes. for, you were I'm, eight for 16 against oh. him. Andy Bennis, really close though. 14 for 31. That's four fifty two. So very close. Thanks for playing our game. Okay. Uh, Okay, most hits. Who did you have the most hits against, Doug? Oh, no, I can get this one because that, that's got to be Al Leiter. I absolutely, yeah, you, everything you, he threw, I hit. <laughs> yeah, 22 for 67 with three bombs. You've told yes. the Al Leiter story before. Who and did you have? A lot of have? doubles, too. I had like eight doubles, seven doubles. How many doubles? Uh, eight doubles, what? three homers. Yeah, yes, just, sir. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, and Al was aware of it. Yes. And then the, <laughs> who did you have the most strikeouts against? Well, I mean, I mean it's got to be the big unit because, I mean, I hit him okay. But every time I didn't hit him, I found myself walking back to the dugout. <laughs> so, right. Randy. You, you, yeah, that's right. Uh, you had 12 strikeouts and 12 hits against him. So not so bad. Not bad, not 293 bad. 293 yeah, was your average. I got, I got a um, home run in there. Don't, don't forget the home run. I snuck one in there. Somehow now, um, you know the the idea of these segments is after we get the trivia question wrong, we we find some fun aspect of the question to talk about. So, looking over this question, you've already told the Al Leiter story. So, I want to hear what it was like to dig into the batter's box, and freaking Randy Johnson was standing sixty feet away. Tell us. Yeah, I mean. Pretty, pretty horrifying, actually. Um, I first faced <laughs> Randy Johnson in spring training, and it was when he was coming back from his back surgery. I think he had a back injury or something. So it was like his first pitching. And I was, you know, it wasn't on the team yet. And, and I got a triple, I hit a triple off him in right center. And it was, it was a moment. And I knew I was starting the day before, and I, it was like hard to sleep because it was like I was a rookie. You're trying to make it. And Randy Johnson was pitching tomorrow. It was like heart attack. But I got a triple and it kind of changed things like, wow, you know, I got, you know, triple off Randy Johnson. And these moments in spring training are often set the tone facing Fernando Valenzuela, Teddy Higuera, just legends. And so I faced him and I look, velocity was never a problem. I love velocity, 
but it was left-handed and he loved to come in and run it back over the plate. And he had this slider and it was a hundred miles an hour. It was something out of this world. When I first saw him, you could, you could literally hear the ball coming in. Like (laughs) you just hear that. I mean, it, it was crazy. And, um, you know, so I faced him in all these iconic moments. Remember, he got traded to the Astros, and oh, I was yeah. the first batter to face him. And it, <laughs> and and it's it's always known that at the Astrodome, you can't see lefties that well because the batting eye is so small, and it would come out of the stands, and it just was tough to pick up until you got used to it. So I was facing Randy Johnson, who's amped up, traded to the Astros, throwing 101 miles an hour in the Astrodome. It was like, come on. So... Um, <laughs> You know, so, you know, he was just special. I mean, the ball, you had to kind of guess. And I started to figure out a couple of things about him. One, when, when he was kind of a little bit off, he had his slider. When he stepped back, he would tilt his glove. He'd turn his glove from vertical position a little bit horizontally. And that was his slider. And once you pick that up, it's still hard to hit, even though you know what's coming, but at least he gives you a sense. Whenever there was a runner in scoring position, particularly less than two outs, his first pitch to you would be a slider that he'd kind of get over and kind of hang it just to throw you off, try to get ahead with his slider. So I got a couple hits like anticipating and knowing and kind of guessing right because it's so hard to see it and hit it with him. So, you know, those are the tricks. Like that's how you beat some of the great pitchers. You know, it's a cat and mouse game. You find a little thing that he does and you try to use it. And even what shows what how hard baseball is as a hitter is even when you know what's coming and you know the pattern, it's still really difficult to have any success, especially with a guy like Johnson. So, uh, but I did okay against him, so I, I was pretty happy with that. <laughs> so. Yeah, I remember one year he was hurt, so they they sent him uh, on a rehab option to like Rancho Cucamonga or something. <laughs> right. I called I called up some of these poor kids and a ball I didn't face him and I remember one of the kids said something like uh I felt like he was 20 feet tall and he was 20 feet from home plate yeah I, <laughs> I mean it's imagine he's huge huge well I tried huge. to give him he, I was in Yankee spring training in 05 and Johnson was there and you know he didn't say a lot he was kind of like you know hello but not not much talk right and right. um I I uh, you know, I know Daryl Hall and John Oates well, so they gave me a promotional box of CDs to just give out to the players. And it was a throwback album called Our Kind of Soul. They did these classic Motown hits, basically. So I brought him in and I put him in lockers and I J- Johnson was in his locker, so I handed it to him. He looks at me, he's like, what is that? I'm like, well, it's, it's Hall and Oates, some free music. What kind of music is this? It's kind of soul, you know, pop, has a little R&B roots. He's like, and he just gave it back to me. <laughs> he didn't, he just, <laughs> I was like, come on, man. So he had no, he's like, I won't like that. So, um, so, oh, well, so much for Johnson and Hall Notes. It's, it's not American not to like Hall yeah, Notes. Yeah, and then, oh, you know, God. and I, downtown Philadelphia, I went out to eat when the Diamondbacks were in town and I go into IHOP and I see this guy sitting in a booth and there's Randy Johnson and he was like, like whole body was above the booth. He was so tall. And I was like, better eat your pancakes. I need an extra dose of this guy. So a lot of fun yeah. Johnson stories, but yeah, pretty cool. Great player. Great that's pitcher. That was good. And you, so you got, you got two out of the three questions about yourself. That's not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. Uh, yeah. And you know, and to everyone listening to this, they should remember that next week, this question could come from you. 
All you need to do is sum- all you need to do is submit a trivia question. Uh, you can do that via email or Twitter, and then Mayor Zuri will pick it. We'll get it wrong, and then we'll do it again next week. Uh, so if you want to email us a question, that address is Starkville with an E on the end at theathletic.com. Or on Twitter, you can find me at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. That's Jason with a Y-S-T. Doug, where can they find you? At Doug Glanville, just my full name, D-O-U-G, and then a second G, L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. Pretty simple. Hit me up. Yeah. Just hashtag those questions. Hashtag StarkvilleQS. And next week, we could be answering your question. Now, that's going to do it for Starkville for some of you but if you're an athletic subscriber you can get to keep listening over at the athletic app or the athletic website and if you would like to be an athletic subscriber and why would you go find the link you first clicked on to find us here and it will get you 40 percent off a one-year subscription to the athletic so for those of you leaving us thanks for listening we'll see you next week on starkville